Hello and welcome to the first episode of the ANZW podcast, where we amplify the voice and profile of incredible women and allies in the ServiceNow community across Australia and New Zealand. Bringing the voices of diversity and inclusion to you, whether you're taking a coffee break, walking the dog, or like me, wrestling a cat for prime heater location. I'm Katrina Reid, a Senior Principal Strategist in the Inspire Value Team, and today I'm here with Kate Tulp, our Country Manager for ServiceNow New Zealand and star of today's episode. Welcome, Kate. Thanks, Kate. I'm so excited that you're our first guest on the show. It feels very fitting given you've recently taken on the responsibility of leading the Women at Now initiatives across Australia and New Zealand. So let's start there. What is the mission of the group and why did you want to get involved? I was really excited to take on an opportunity to be part of the Australia New Zealand Women at Now group because creating places where people feel like they truly belong and can bring their very best selves to work is something that I'm particularly passionate about. I've had some absolutely fantastic experiences in my career in the ICT industry and and also some experiences that are not so great. And I recognize that at this age and stage of my career, I have an opportunity to be able to give back and, and to be able to put some effort into making sure that the place that we create for women and all diverse groups inside service now is a place that we would want to all be a part of and certainly recommend to our women, our sisters, our best friends, our daughters, and everybody you know that we would be associated with in our personal lives that we love dearly. So being able to create an environment, work with a team of people who are focused on doing that is something that's exciting and very important to me. So what are some of the current activities that the Women at Now leadership team is focused on? So one of them is absolutely this podcast, absolutely fantastic idea that you brought to us, Kat. So I was very excited when you brought this uh, brought this idea forward, and I was really excited with the feedback that the group, the action group that we have working it on Women It Now across Australia and New Zealand, it was immediate, as you know. Uh, people were very excited, and, and it was a very easy, quick yes that we got out of the team to move forward with this. So, you know, making making uh, our women accessible uh, to to each other to build community and networks so that you know when you're as you said before walking down the corridor you know who it is that's walking past you and, and you feel really comfortable just to you know reach out you know say hi and and um, and build a relationship or or a network that you might not have otherwise uh, I'm really excited about coffee roulette that we've been running I think that that's, that's a good got one. <laughs> is it has rave reviews and uh, it's a it's a really interesting because it comes out of my diary so I get to see all of the responses coming back thick and fast and the response rate is incredibly high if I was running an external event with a response rate like that I would be absolutely delighted and so would our marketing and external events team so and the reason I think that it's going so well is because you know especially in the last two and a half years where you know we have struggled maybe to build uh, connections in meaningful ways Um, we've had our traditional networking type opportunities and events uh, taken away and uh, we're not quite sure when they might be coming back. We've you know, had a huge amount, as many organisations have, of people join an organisation during a lockdown and, and they just haven't had that new employee experience. They haven't had the networking opportunities in a physical and face-to-face environment provided. So Coffee Roulette is you know, really a, a, an opportunity for people to get to know somebody that they just might not bump into otherwise. We're trying to recreate that I just bumped into somebody at the coffee machine or I just bumped into somebody while I was, you know, standing in the lunch queue. We're trying to recreate those moments, those, oh, hi, this is who you are, this is who I am, and now we know each other. That's fantastic. So so I'm really excited about that. I'm very excited about uh, we are running a couple of events in the next couple of months uh, where we uh, will have a professional photographer come to our office space. We will have uh, new LinkedIn headshots uh, being taken uh, across the board, but you know, predominantly we're trying to create this for our woman at now 
uh, community. And uh, then we're having a guest speaker who is a full-time director. She's come from an ICT background, uh, 30 years as a CIO across a number of very large publicly traded organisations. And she's you know, going to be speaking in a very frank way uh, to not just women inside our organisation, everybody is welcome to attend our events, but she's really going to be you know, talking about you know, what her career has been and, and uh, the things that she's learned. Uh, I'm very excited about providing those sorts of opportunities and we've got certainly got plenty more that's sitting in the, in the actions planner that we're working to every couple of weeks. Lots of exciting activities on the roadmap. So as you know, this particular podcast is about shining a light on experiences and careers and opportunities across the tech industry. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career history? Sure. So I think I'm genuinely a very unlikely candidate uh, for a 20-year career in the ICT industry. I was a super average student at school. I uh, really spent my time working on the school magazine, filming and producing videos of, of uh, our school's production and, and leavers events. And I was very involved in our school's rowing crews. I also worked 20 hours a week uh, from the age of 15 years old. And I really enjoyed people. I really enjoy customer service and team-based things and work and sport are both of those. So I didn't do well in maths or computer science. Um, and by the time I graduated from high school, I was actually a bit lost about what I was going to do. Uh, with the rest of my life. So I actually spent a couple of um, two or three years, those early years waitressing uh, and then running bars and then running restaurants and then running really large scale events like weddings and corporate events and product launches and things. I absolutely loved that. Absolutely loved that job uh, that I that I did for about a year and a half, I, I really loved the thrill of designing an experience for people that was a real standout. You know, that thing where people say, wow, that was an amazing night. And, and I get a lot of energy out of creating those experiences for people, both for the customer who's trying to create that moment for their guests or their customers that they have along, as well as the people who are experiencing it. I had an experience which was, <laughs> at the time, genuinely horrible and uh, sent me home crying my heart out. And uh, I was pretty broken at the end of it. It was the accountant uh, of the last place that I was working at running these big events and bars and restaurants and things. And it was a pretty big operation um, that I was that I was running at that point. And uh, she believed that I had uh, <laughs> exceeded the labour cost for an event that I'd run. And we were having what I thought was a discussion about that. And I was showing her that no, she'd combined two events into one and she stood 10 centimeters from my face and absolutely screamed at me absolutely screamed at me and and I stood there as a 19 year old thinking this is a horrible <laughs> as a moment uh, but b why is it that this person thinks it's okay to scream at me like this and I realized it was because she had knowledge and information that I didn't she spoke in a language that I did not and that was the the, the language of accounting I will be forever grateful to that woman for that horrible, horrible experience that I had because uh, about three days after it, I decided that I was going to go to university and that I was going to become qualified uh, as an accountant or a lawyer. I hadn't decided one of the two, but both I was absolutely in that both, situation. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and nobody would be able to speak to me like that again because I would technically know what I was talking about and, you know, I'd have the bit of paper and nobody could ever take that from me. Um, thankfully for myself and, um, and for everybody else in the world, uh, I am neither qualified as an accountant or as a lawyer. So I feel really grateful to her that I had that experience because I could actually quite easily have seen myself doing that for the rest of my life. It was a pretty cool lifestyle apart from the 80 hours a week. But anyway, look, I went to university and then when I was leaving university, I thought I was actually really unemployable. I had two degrees. I had four majors. 
stages, uh, but I genuinely believed that I had been out of the useful working world for four years, despite the fact that I'd worked 40 hours a week as a legal secretary and running a couple of bars uh, at um, the, the city that I was at university in. And I genuinely thought, oh, what, what experience have I got now that anybody's interested in? I applied for lots of graduate programs. I applied for Lion Nathan, a big brewery company, and I applied for Coca-Cola, amongst others. Uh, and those are two standouts for me because I was genuinely shocked that neither of them wanted me. Uh, here's me, the only experience I think that I've got, uh, the only thing of value that I think that I've got is, is this hospitality industry. I'm sitting there thinking, I've literally been your customer. I literally know what it is you know, to be one of your mid-range customers and understand your terms and conditions and price points and all of those sorts of things and what it means to, to, run, to run these places. But I, I'm deeply grateful I didn't because I also applied for the IBM graduate program. Only on the basis, by the way, given remembering that I'm useless at computer science and computer studies, uh, only on the basis that in my final year, one of my final year marketing papers, we had uh, we had done a deep dive investigation on IBM. And a man ran, uh, called Buck Rogers had been the global head of marketing and he'd written a book uh, and we were dissecting parts of this book and reading it. And I loved what Buck Rogers had to say. It really spoke to my heart. It was all about people and how people matter more than anything else. And it talked a lot about how customers matter more than anything else. And uh, I was fascinated by this and I ended up doing a bit more research and then happened to see that IBM were running a graduate program and they'd put an ad up on the graduate board or whatever we called it back then. And I don't know what possessed me to possibly think that I should apply for it, but I did. Thank goodness I did. And uh, and then when they were trying to hire me, <laughs> trying to pick me off, I vividly remember saying to uh, Jeff, uh, who was one of the hiring managers, I was like, look, mate, I, I just, I want to be really clear. You understand I don't know anything about IT, right? You've, you've said that, you know, you're looking for business grads and that's me, but I really don't understand IT. And and I'm really grateful for what he said to me because it's, it's helped me my whole career. He said, Kate, there are plenty of people in this industry and in this business who are literal rocket scientists and understand this stuff inside and out. Uh, what we are looking for is somebody who can understand business and understand people. So that's why we're hiring you. And that was really helpful. It's good to know why you're being hired. It's <laughs> probably a key learning uh, for me. So look, I joined IBM. Then after that, I became an IBM client exec. Uh, I loved that. Absolutely loved looking after customers, broad range, universities, manufacturers, uh, banks, you know, all sorts was thrown into uh, my portfolio. To that, I moved to Australia, uh, where I had a couple of different roles over there, running competitive sales teams, uh, setting up uh, what, uh, I've forgotten what the term for it is now, but basically turning marketing into a revenue generating organization and uh, all that goes with that. I had a couple of jobs um, that I didn't like very much on the journey. I think that's really important as well to try things. Uh, I, I really thought that I would like doing strategy and I worked on strategy for what was called Smarter Cities. Uh, and trying I remember to turn, Smarter Cities. <laughs> well, I was trying <laughs> Flashback. To turn, I was trying to turn the really good brochure into... Uh, into reality, like into something that you could actually execute for a customer where they could actually buy something and do something and, and achieve something because it was a really great story. It's a great vision. A really great vision. IBM was very good at the vision, but uh, I was incredibly frustrated doing strategy. And, uh, and the reason I was frustrated was because I was not with customers every day. And so good learning for me, don't do jobs where I'm not with customers every day or a significant portion of the week because that's where I get a lot of energy from. I came back to New Zealand uh, to run the strategic outsourcing and um, business for IBM. We uh, set up a cloud. We had to do a cloud business case. So that was a very interesting experience. And uh, then it was time for me to go. It had been 13 years. I thought I'd learned enough uh, of doing business in one particular way. And, uh, and I wanted to try new things. And so I uh, went to Vodafone. Um, my last role there 
was uh, as head of corporate and global enterprise, which is looking after about 2,500 business customers across New Zealand. Absolutely loved that job. Uh, and then it was time to um, to learn something new again after about five, six years of doing that. And so I've been at ServiceNow as country manager for about 10 months now, I think. Can you describe your current role for our listeners and what you love most about it? Apart from spending so much time with customers, which is obviously a big part of that. It's a huge part of it. It, it genuinely is. And uh, when I was interviewing with this role, I, I really, really checked uh, with uh, Eric, that is now my manager, uh, and Mitch, who is Eric's manager, that when I mean customer facing, it means the same thing to the both of them. Uh, because the last thing I ever want to do is is be running spreadsheets and PowerPoints. That's, that's just not something that gives me energy and gets me excited. Um, so my role uh, at ServiceNow is, is really to make ServiceNow part of the economic and social fabric of Aotearoa New Zealand. And, you know, it's described in different ways and there's different metrics and things that go with that. And absolutely, that's about sales and execution and go-to-market and our channel partners. Uh, but really, you know, that's a much longer-term vision about, about how we take this incredible uh, company and the, the product and the platform that it has and apply that to New Zealand, which, you know, really needs the power of a platform such as ServiceNow and we can do a lot of really good things for New Zealand both at the enterprise and at the government level. For a relatively small country New Zealand seems to bat well above its weight when it comes to innovation and the way in which companies use technology. It absolutely does. I think we like to make things up uh, not in a bad way, but I think there's a Create. couple. Of, absolutely, we are very creative. We are we yes. are a nation of creators, uh, and I think if you look at our if you look at our history, if you look at our background, uh, it's really driven by necessity. When you are at the bottom of the world, and the next stop is genuinely Antarctica, um, you are often on, on out on your own. If you look at the first migrations to this country, uh, the Maori coming here a couple of thousand years ago, you look at the, the innovation that they had to display uh, coming to a completely different physical environment from what they had previously lived in. And, and then you look at, you know, the, the uh, migration of the Europeans coming through a couple of hundred years ago. And, you know, gosh, that was a very different environment to what they were used to as well. I think that it sort of, there's something in you, uh, something in your genes, maybe. You look at most of uh, our growth in this country is genuinely driven by migration now. So still we have immigration coming, immigrants coming through and, you know, pe people bring different ways of thinking about things and different ways of approaching problems. And I think that that's a, it's a particularly exciting advantage that we have as a country. And it's probably it's probably why you see so much creativity and innovation coming out of New Zealand. And oh my gosh, we are so proud of each other. So you know, out on the global stage, you you will get us high fiving and hugging like crazy about you know achievements that that each other have made. So I think that really being out there for each other as a team is incredibly strong in this country as well. So what are some of the emerging technologies that you're most excited about, or that our customers in New Zealand are most excited about? I gave a speech a few years ago. A customer who works in the uh, electronics industry asked me to come and speak to his his management group. They were doing a, a management offsite one day, and he said, "Oh, hey, Kate, would you come and talk about the future? You know, you bang on about this stuff a lot, and so you know, come and have a, a speech about this." And uh, I'm laughing because uh, after about 45 minutes of the speech, and you know, I'm looking out across the room, and and I just saw that. Uh, I've probably gone a step too far. So I think one of the things I know that I do is I see what's 
the future is going to be, but I expect it to be here a lot faster than what it actually ends up being. So uh, another customer and I was shooting the breeze the other day and he he described himself in a way that I really liked, which was, uh, I'm not often wrong, but I am often early. And I thought that's, that's, <laughs> that's, a very, that's a very good way of describing himself. And I thought, yeah, I could definitely see that. So I think a, a couple of things that I thought were going to be much earlier than they have been, but I definitely see taking off in this country now is augmented reality and using that for uh, for business. A few years ago, uh, when I was at Vodafone, I, I put some sponsorship into pain therapy and using augmented reality and virtual reality with uh, Starship Children's Hospital and a, a number of other partners to be able to go and create experiences for children who were in hospital for long term for very painful, horrible things that we would you know, hope that none of our families would have to go through. And being able to use augmented and virtual reality to distract the mind so that you needed less drugs flowing through your system as painful, painful things were, uh, were undertaken. And my goodness, it really worked. That was an incredibly interesting study to be a part of. That was probably about five years ago now, I think. And, and it really opened my eyes. I thought, right, this stuff's really good. And I just saw on the news uh, last week that there's another couple of big trials underway and that they're really using using this, not just at Starship, but up and down the country in different hospitals for different pain management techniques. So I'm really excited to see that. I think that that's very interesting. I think we also see huge application of augmented reality in the business sense as well, being able to put on your augmented reality helmet, goggles, whatever it is, and be directed by an agent somewhere else in the world about how you can fix something that's quite complicated. I think for training as well, we definitely see it being used in really good ways uh, for training. And uh, somewhat personally for me, uh, despite despite the uh, hundreds of thousands of miles that I've flown, I actually have a, quite a serious fear of flying, and which is a not a great not a great thing to have in a job like mine. So uh, I've you know done a, a number of courses, but I also see that they're using augmented reality uh, as a as a form of uh, uh, training to um, to get over phobias and, and fears. And so I think I genuinely start to see the application of that technology coming through. And so I'm pretty excited about that. I, I was really hoping you were about to say that they they'd invented some sort of transporter where you oh. can just walk into a cupboard and walk out the other side in Auckland or something, because I'm up for yeah. that. Well, legitimately, so I've watched Star Trek and I believe that we are owed uh, teleportation at this point. I yeah. 100% we are owed it. And just having got back from a trip that was meant to take 17 hours and actually took 36 hours instead, thanks to missed connections and, and all the problems that are going on in the world, I genuinely sat in the airport and worked out how much extra I would pay for teleportation versus an airplane ticket. I think just, just my, my number, I think it's twice business class. I'd pay twice business class to be able to teleport anywhere and, uh, and to not have to put up with all of that. But even I know that's a bit far out, Kat. Yes, <laughs> so. but we're not wrong. We're just too yeah, early <laughs> just just early I know that we're owed it I also think you know we're just like so at the start of automation and robotic process automation as well like you know you talk to organizations about what they're doing you know you'll get all sorts of surveys and different numbers you get everywhere from 15 percent to 65 percent say that they're actively engaged in RPA uh, you'll get sort of similar numbers for you know aggressively pursuing automation but oh we're, we're not even we're not even touching the touching the iceberg top of, of what that thing could actually look like and the difference that that makes for organisations and for people, for their experiences that they get to have. So I think those are, um, are two really undercooked, undervalued spaces right now that we'll look back on in 10 years and think, oh, isn't that cute? We thought that we were doing it, but we really weren't. I think those are a couple of spaces. You could get me talking all day about what I think the future is and people would laugh. I think haptic body suits are going to be a big thing too. So I don't know if you've seen those. Have you seen haptic body suits? Are they the ones that, um, that react when someone's about to fall? 
Yes. Well, yes, they can do that. But I think what they're going to be really big for is gaming. And so when you combine that with augmented and virtual reality, then it gets really interesting. So the, the haptics, you know, like in your iPhone, oh, sorry, your, um, your Apple Watch, right? So it like goes jing, jing, jing on your wrist and, you know, that's a haptic, right? A whole bodysuit full of that while you're engaging in some kind of War zone. game. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, my near teenage son would probably enjoy that, right? I wouldn't. Yeah. But, I'm not you know, signing up for that one. <laughs> well, you could, you could like, you know, be boxing against, you know, one of the world's greats and, you know. I'm also you know, not I'm... <laughs> signing up to take a hit from Mike Tyson. <laughs> but I think the application of haptic bodysuit is interesting because it's like you're with someone but you're not with somebody. So I think we haven't even started to see the, the, the potential of that. So Kate, I think we'll save that conversation <laughs> for ANZW after hours. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll get many takers on that one. but <laughs> that, that, That'll be series two. So let's let's switch tactics a little bit here. What is the best advice you've received from a mentor or coach that has served you well in your career? Okay, I'm going to say two things. Actually, three. I'll say three things. Uh, one, ask for feedback a lot. And a lot of us are really scared of feedback. We're scared to ask for it. It's almost like we're apologizing when we, <laughs> when we ask for it. Uh, and, and if we are brave enough to ask for it, we then sit there holding our breath waiting for what we inevitably think is going to come out of somebody's mouth, which is along the lines of you're useless and you're terrible when you do things. And we're waiting for all of the bad things to come out. So, you know, the the advice I had about asking for feedback and, and not being afraid to ask and then not being afraid to sit in the discomfort of hearing what that feedback is. And I think most of us will be very surprised to to feel how uncomfortable it is to have positive feedback and to genuinely listen to it and sit with it and acknowledge it and think about what it means. So I think that's been an incredibly powerful thing that I was encouraged to do and encouraged to practice early on, and it's made a very big difference uh, to my professional life. I think secondly, um, uh, very early in my IBM career, uh, my, my manager, who was absolutely outstanding, and I feel incredibly blessed that Bob was one of my very first managers uh, because he taught me some very good things and he was very good to me. Uh, he said to me, who speaks for you when you're not in the room? And he was trying to encourage me to think about network and he was trying to encourage me to think about mentoring and coaches. So who is it that is in the senior rooms, that is in the senior positions that speaks for you? And I've definitely applied that certainly to an internal way of thinking in an organization, but also when I think about the customers that we engage with, you know, who speaks for us as an organization when we are not in the room? And how do they speak of us and, and how powerful is their voice based on our behaviours and the things that we have demonstrated? The, the final thing, and it's something I only learned uh, just over a year ago, I think, is, and I actually got this from, from a coach. He said to me, he gave me some homework and it made me incredibly uncomfortable to do this, which is probably the best kind of homework I've decided from a personal growth point of view. Uh, he said to me, you need to go to three people that you've either worked for or with, but they need to have been people you've worked with uh, who know you well and have had a, a good opportunity to work with you across a range of projects and a, hopefully a range of positions in your career. And you need to go and ask them what value you bring to an organization. Not what role did you do, not what did you achieve. You want them to tell you the value that you bring. That is an incredible thing to do. It's hard to do. Uh, and, and 
when I had that feedback, that really, for me, helped helped to solidify the things that I love doing and the things that I think that I'm doing aren't necessarily the value that I'm actually bringing to an organisation. So I think that I'll, I'll be grateful for that for a long time. So let's wrap up with a few fun questions. What is our favourite book or podcast? I am a ferocious reader of junk when I'm on holiday. I consume a book a day and I couldn't even tell you what they were called and I can't tell you what they were about. They're just about all the same. Uh, But uh, when I'm reading proper books, uh, I think my favourite, favourite book uh, that I read, I think about 15 years ago maybe, is called Leadership and Self-Deception. It's written, um, produced by the Arbinger Institute. It's fantastic. I read it once a year. It's a really good, easy read. You can, you know, read it in a night and a day. The first time I read it, I stayed up all night reading it. And then I started, I hit the phones in the morning, ringing people that had uh, worked for me and my teams, making apologies for things I'd done as a leader up until that point. It is fantastic. Uh, I really recommend it. I also really, really like uh, The Next 100 Years by George Friedman. Uh, I bought that book nearly 10 years ago. Oh, actually 10 years ago now. And it's fascinating to read it because, you know, he talks about things that he said would be happening in 2020, 2030. And I'm reading it now thinking, how does he know? Of course he knows, though, uh, because he's a, a political watcher and um, and an expert on geopolitical relations. Um, and then in, I think anything written by Malcolm Gladwell. So The Tipping Point, uh, Blink, and uh, The Outliers, I think, uh, are brilliant reads as well. It's a genius marketing employee. Uh, writing a book about things that are going to happen in 100 years because no one's going to be around to prove that you were wrong. Well, I don't know. The, the, the first 20 he's predicted have coming true so far. So, it's, you know, it's a good book. <laughs> uh, best movie or TV show to binge watch? You know, I think I don't watch a lot of TV. And then what I'm thinking is I've spent the last two and a half years probably watching a lot of TV uh, when we when we get around and talk about these things. So I, I am obsessed with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think I've watched all eight seasons of that about three times at this point. I just absolutely love that show. I love Schitt's Creek. Um, Umbrella Academy. Uh, they just came out with their last season and I'm devastated that, you know, there's not another one on the horizon for the foreseeable future. And I don't know if you've watched it, but uh, Succession. I, I can't stand it, and yet I can't stop watching it. It is horrific. It's about a family that treats each other incredibly badly. And in every every episode, I think, oh, this is the episode of redemption where they realize that they're terrible people and they're going to treat each other well. And I get to the end of the episode, nope, it's not this one. And, and they're off again. So, yeah, I, I love all of those. I have not seen that one, but I am a massive fan of Shit's Creek. And if anything, just for the memes, because I feel like that is my go-to meme. A bit of Moira <laughs> anytime, any day of the week. That's fantastic. Yeah. A place everyone must visit in their lifetime. Ooh. Uh, I think one of the best places I've ever been to in the world is Nepal. It is spectacular on, on every level. And uh, I think it's some of the best hiking in the world. Absolutely love it. Um, it might sound a bit naff to some. I genuinely think everyone and everyone should visit where their ancestors are from. Everyone should should go to where their grandparents, great great grandparents, great great greats, you know, way back were from because it's so interesting and I think helps us understand who we are today and why we are today, but also what we're all about and what we're trying to create for the next generations that we we are responsible for. Completely agree. I uh, went back and visited the church in Scotland where my ancestors etch their names into the glass and those names are still sitting there today and I can't wait to take the kids back oh we should talk more about that because that's where my people are from too Scotland so see now we've got a whole other series of podcasts that we're gonna have to launch so interesting isn't it the Scottish tales of Cat and Kate 
well, how brave people had to be, right, to pack themselves up and a whole bunch of kids and jump on a boat to somewhere they'd never seen before and probably could never come home. I think those, you know, those are amazing lives, those lives. Well, and the irony, um, getting a little bit off topic here, but, you know, ancestors that were kicked out as part of the, the Highland Clearances and uh. and now married to the son of an English man. So the irony is just, you know, all, dripping all over Christmas <laughs> You're after you. I'll never let him forget it. I love it. Well, Kate, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for joining and sharing your story and for kicking off the first podcast. Absolute pleasure. It was a great plan, Kat, and thank you so much for what you're doing. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Make sure to join our LinkedIn group to continue the conversation and connect with all of our guests on the show. You can find us on the ANZW podcast homepage as well as Apple Podcast, Google Podcast and Spotify. And if you know someone with a great story to share, drop us a note. We would love to hear from you. Have a great week and we will see you next time.